it is Friday, and here at Crepuscular Academy, the work of the week is done. The classrooms are dark and empty and mostly silent. The more dangerous textbooks have been locked away, so why don't you join us in my study as we delve once more into Dr. Longshadow's miscellany of the uncanny. Good evening. Here at Crepuscular Academy, life has returned to relative normality. The spring holiday has come to an end, and both students and staff have returned. Once again, the hallways ring to the sound of excited chatter and footsteps as the pupils make their collective ways from one part of the school to another. The classrooms are filled with the reassuring meditation of pens scribbling on paper and the low murmurs of learned faculty members as they pass on their wisdom. The library echoes to the whisper of disembodied voices clamoring over each other, desperate to have someone listen to their stories. Here at good old Crepuscular, the library is in many ways the heart, the soul of the academy. The books held within house for some total of human knowledge, and I am not afraid to boast a little more. Here the pupils will find answers to the most seemingly unanswerable of questions. We also have a fiction section that is the envy of librarians everywhere. I trust you don't find it hard to believe that librarians, all librarians, belong to a millennia-old society, and that they gossip. It is as well to be aware of such matters. As I said, our fiction section is peerless. As a student, I spent many happy hours there myself. I sailed with Ahab, was wandering the Carpathians with Harker, and escaped the city castle with Titus. Uh, it always grieved me to finish a book, as, whilst I had been reading it, it had become my world, the place where I had chosen to be. It had become my reality. But then, what is reality? Ah, you must forgive an old man for his rambling ways. Let us proceed to tonight's tale. The chocolate is hot, the fire stoked, and the biscuit of the week is the jammy dodger. For those listeners unfamiliar with this perennial favourite, I direct you to your nearest internet portal for elucidation as to the nature of this particular sweet treat. And so, find somewhere comfortable and enjoy this week's installment of Dr. Longshadow's Miscellany of the Uncanny. Daniel was a worrier. He worried about the weather and how it was changing the world. He worried about the things he saw in the news. He worried about how the few people in charge didn't seem to care about the many who were not. He worried about people he knew getting old or sick or even dying. He worried about school, and he worried that he wasn't making enough progress. He wasn't sure why school was so keen on him making progress, as he himself didn't know where he was going or what he wanted to do with his life. Surely you had to have somewhere to progress too. He worried that his teachers secretly knew exactly where he was supposed to be going, 
and he worried that he would not enjoy the place he was destined to progress towards. The older Daniel got, and the more he learned about the world, the more and more worried he became. He rarely smiled, for he rarely felt as if there was anything to smile about. He did not sleep well, and when he did sleep, his dreams were full of twisted, surreal versions of his waking worries. However, Daniel did have one comfort in his life. His dog. His Tilly. In a world of worry, Tilly was an oasis of calm. She was the kindest, gentlest creature that had ever lived. She was, as most dogs are, a physical manifestation of pure and unconditional love. Daniel loved her utterly, and Tilly, in turn, adored him. Near Daniel's house there was a park, and at the top of a hill in the park there was a bench. After school and at the weekends, Daniel would take Tilly for long walks that would culminate in climbing the hill, and both of them sitting on the bench. This was a special place. And over years he and Tilly had been making their pilgrimage to the bench, Daniel had never seen anyone else sitting there. From that bench at the top of the hill, he could look over the town, across the rooftops and out to the blue hills beyond. They would spend hours there, a boy and his dog, listening to the wind idly playing with the leaves, and looking out to the far, far horizon, keeping their gazes high above the world. In those moments, Daniel did not worry, but it never lasted. Eventually, it would grow darker, and, of course, Daniel worried about the dark, and he and Tilly would have to descend back down into the world. Each step he took away from the park brought the worries. They fell on him like ash, layer upon layer, weighing him down until by the time he got home he would be stooping with the burden of them. One day Daniel was sitting on the bench with Tilly. It was a beautiful summer's afternoon and the sky was blue and deep. The world and its worries were somewhere else a long way off. Daniel stroked Tilly's golden fur and closed his eyes, feeling the sun warm his face. When he opened them again, there was a man sitting next to him on the bench. Daniel hadn't seen the man approaching, and Tilly hadn't shown any indication that she had either. From the corner of his eye, Daniel studied the man. He was about the same age as his father, and he was wearing a neat suit and an overcoat. Daniel worried about strangers. Most of us do. It's hardly surprising, is it? After all, from a very early age, we are taught to worry about strangers. But Daniel, being Daniel, worried more than most. The man was leaning back on the bench, seemingly appreciating the view. Even though Daniel knew that it was almost certain that the man was completely harmless, he decided to leave. He started to get up when the man spoke to him. Heads or tails, the man said. Daniel didn't know what to say. And while his forebrain stumbled with how to respond, his hindbrain had instantly furnished him with a hundred scenarios of what was going to happen next. He saw spinning newspaper headlines that shouted about the latest victim of the Heads or Tails killer. 
He saw the man grabbing Tilly and adding to his collection of dog-tails, each one bloodied and stitched into the lining of his coat. He saw all of this and more. It's a tales, the man repeated, smiling. No? Oh, never mind. Uh, just watch, then. He reached into a pocket. Daniel tensed, ready to run, and produced a shining fifty-pence coin. He tossed it into the air, and it span up and up and up, catching the sun. Then it stopped. It simply stopped. It stopped spinning and hung in the air, not moving. Despite his worries, Daniel was amazed. How? he managed. Hello, Daniel, said the man. I come to reassure you. Pardon? I've come to tell you not to worry, but it's going to be all right. The man stood up and put his hands on his hips and breathed deeply. Ah, uh, you know, he said over his shoulder, it doesn't matter how many times I come to this place, it never fails to amaze me. Pardon? The man turned and sat down again. He reached out and stroked Tilly. Tilly wagged her tail and chuffed happily. Hello, Tilly, he said. I haven't seen you for a while. Who are you? said Daniel. How, how do you know us, and, and, and uh, how are you doing that trick with the coin? The 50p coin was still hanging where it had stopped. The man reached out and plucked the coin from the air and put it back into his pocket. Oh, sorry, I, I forgot about that. Uh, still, I hope it helps explain things a bit more for you. Daniel wasn't even sure what things needed explaining, let alone how a floating 50p coin could do anything to explain them. Explain what? he said. That, Daniel. Uh, none of this. The man gestured to the view. Uh, none of this is real. Oh, God, thought Daniel. He's insane. Uh, right, well, well look, we, we've got to go now, so... Oh, you can't, said the man gently. No, really, it's, it's, it's nearly my dinner time, and, and Mum will be cross if I'm not home soon, so we, 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 we've got to go at... Daniel tried to move, but found that he couldn't. He tried again, and found himself stuck fast to the bench. He pulled and pulled, but just could not move. "'What's going on?' he shouted. "'Help! Help!' "'Calm down, Daniel,' said the man soothingly. "'I can't have you running off before we've had a chance to talk. Oh, and stop shouting. It's no use. No one can hear you. Look at Tilly!' Even in the midst of his panic, the mention of his dog made Daniel stop and look down at his beloved Tilly. She wasn't moving. She wasn't breathing. What have you done to her? What's wrong with her? Nothing's wrong with her. I've just paused her. I've paused everything. Like I said, we need to talk. Now, listen carefully. It was a magical night filled with cavaliers and wolves. It was a magical night filled with cavaliers and wolves. As the man spoke these words, Daniel felt his panic ebb and fade. He felt calm fall over him like a warm blanket. He stopped struggling and sat back on the bench. Have you hypnotized me? he said. It was the only thing that made sense. He had seen hypnotists on television and this was the kind of thing that they did. Of course, that's what was going on. Any second the man would take off his mask and he'd be looking at Darren Brown. No, not quite. Those are just some soothing words, a little hack I wrote. 
It saves time. Please tell me what's going on, Daniel said. Okay, well, uh, let's start with the basics. First off, you are completely safe. When we finished our little chat, you'll go home and have dinner with your family. You'll go to bed from tomorrow, you'll live the rest of your life. Secondly, my name is Mr. Moore, and I'm a history teacher. No, you're not, said Daniel. My history teacher is Mrs. Bowland. Well, I am your real history teacher, Daniel, said the man kindly. And you are taking my early 21st century history class. No, I'm not. We're doing World War II. We started this term. Normally, Daniel, I enjoy your contradictory questioning nature. However, for the moment, it would probably be better if you just listened. The man looked around again, like a tourist taking in a particularly impressive cathedral. As I explained, he said, none of this is real. This whole world, your life, is just a simulation. You might think you're sitting on a bench in a park, but you're not. You're actually sitting in my classroom five minutes into your familiarization session. Now, normally I wouldn't intervene, but you've got a case of empathetic anxiety. It happens now and again. A student becomes so immersed in the experience that they completely lose themselves. They lose the distance needed to study the period they are in. And let's face it, the early 21st century was a pretty worrying time. You're not the first, and you won't be the last. Daniel may have been calm, but he was very confused. What was this man saying? All he wanted to do was take Tilly and go home. I don't understand, he said. It's history, Daniel, said the man. For as long as there have been history lessons, there have been history teachers trying to get students to experience the past from an empathetic point of view, to try and understand, I mean, really understand what it was like to live in any given period. Of course, when it was just words on pages and best-guess illustrations, that was an almost impossible task. After all, the past doesn't exist anymore. Oh, we could appreciate it and we could study it, but we, we never really understood what it was like. And then came photographs, and it became a little bit more real. And then film, and then sound, and then the internet, and then, well, <laughs> let's just say that humanity's obsession with recording everything, every meal, every petty passing thought, has served us historians well. Luckily, we were able to restore almost all of these records, and from then on, we were able to build this. Build what? This, Daniel, all of this, your life. What better way to understand what it was like to live in a certain time period than to actually live in that time period? Why, why, why are you telling me this? Sorry, Mr. Moore said. I got carried away. Like I said, Daniel, you're getting too involved and you're worrying. Now, whereas a little worry is fine, after all, that's why we're here, to understand how it was, too much worrying will stop you getting as much from this as you could. You'll stop interacting. None of this is real, said Daniel. Could he be beginning to believe what this man was telling him? None of it, said the man. Daniel looked down at the grass. But it, it feels real, he said. And well, what does real feel like, said the man. I don't understand. Have you tried VR yet? They were just getting the hang of it around about now. What, what, what year are you up to? The man checked his watch. Oh, 2023. Well, then, yes, you should certainly have come across it by now. Daniel nodded. 
He had got a pair of VR goggles for Christmas. He, he put his phone into a slot and was able to hunt dinosaurs and ride roller coasters. Good. Thought so. Well, I imagine if that's all you knew. If that was how you experienced the world, through those primitive VR goggles. That would be real to you, wouldn't it? I, I suppose. Well... This simulation, this life, is, is all you know, and so it feels real. But only because you can't remember what real, the real, real, feels like. What do you mean I can't remember? When a student goes in to study a period, their memories of their actual life are temporarily blocked. Otherwise, it would just be another game, without thinking. Daniel reached out for Tilly, as he had done a million times before. It was only when he felt her soft fur under his fingers that he thought to ask. But there are people here I love, he said. I love Tilly. Characters, Daniel, the man said. They're just characters. When you finish a program, you'll remember them the same way you would remember characters from a book or a movie. Nothing more. Daniel didn't say anything. You have a real family, Daniel. A real life. And when this is all over, you'll, you'll stretch, you'll blink, and you'll come back to good old 2,109. 2,109? Every year, Daniel. The year you're from. Daniel was silent again for a while. How long does it take? How long will I be here? The man stopped smiling and pursed his lips. Okay, he said cautiously. In real time, it's about 30 minutes. You, you know, we... We run the simulation, and then we spend the rest of the lesson sharing our experiences. Thirty minutes? That's right. But I'm fourteen, said Daniel. I've been alive for fourteen years. Well, said the man, shifting uncomfortably. Yes and no. Yes, you've experienced fourteen years of simulation time, but actually you've been in here for about six minutes of class time. When does it end? It was a magical night filled with cavaliers and wolves. It was a magical... Why, why, why are you saying that again? I need you to be calm. I am calm, said Daniel. When does it end? When you die. Daniel looked out across the rooftops of the still world. Not too far away, a bird hung in the sky. How long will that take? Um, well, uh, let me see. The man pulled out a notebook and started flipping through the pages. Daniel looked over his shoulder and saw a list of names and numbers. Daniel, 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 the man said, running his finger down a page. My name is Daniel, then. What? Oh, yes, we, we keep our own names. Uh, uh, here we are, Daniel. Uh, you die when you've been here. The man's voice trailed off. What does it say? You've got decades ahead of you. They sat quietly for a while. The man looking ahead of him, and Daniel looking at Tilly. Do you know how it's going to happen? Daniel said. Uh, yes, but that doesn't matter. As, as soon as I resume the program, you'll forget all of this. So it doesn't matter if you tell me then, does it? No, the man said. I suppose not. There's an accident at some point, and, and the idea, well, is... It's supposed to give you an insight into the standard of medical care at the time, and, and, and look, look, look. None of this matters at the moment. All you need to know is that you won't remember this conversation. Can't have you running amok in a simulated world. No, it's not real, can we? However, you, you should settle down now. 
subconsciously, feel better, be able to observe things from over distance, and at the end, I'll be waiting for you. I'd like to go home now, said Daniel, if I'm allowed. Of course you are. How do you feel? Better? Daniel stroked Tilly's motionless head. I'd like to go. Daniel gently stroked Tilly's head, and she looked up at him with loving eyes. The sun was low in the horizon now, and he'd have to get home or his mum would get cross. He stood up, and the two friends started down the hill and through the park. As they made their way through the streets, Daniel felt something he had never experienced before. Normally the sounds of traffic and the boxed-in sky would see the return of his worries, but not today. He felt lighter, relieved. For the first time, he saw more good in the world than bad. He looked up to see the first stars appear in the purpling sky, and he smiled. That's why he didn't realize that he'd stepped off the pavement. That's why he didn't see the truck, as it sped towards him and Tilly. Hello, Daniel, said Mr. Moore. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed this evening's tale. And now, if you'll excuse me, it is high time my students were making their way back to their rooms, and I was preparing for my nightly inspection of the grounds. A somewhat tiresome chore, but one that is necessary in order to check that the perimeter fence is still secure. Ah, I have not mentioned the perimeter fence before, have I? Well, perhaps I will be able to go into more detail about that next time, if you tune in to Dr. Longshadow's Miscellany of the Uncanny. Until then, good night.